Hello and welcome back to Quick Shanti, the place where we digest timeless wisdom one bite at a time. Today we are going to be talking about the wisdom of death. We're going to look at the life-death life cycle and we'll draw on philosophy. We'll also look to nature to really understand what is it about death that can teach us to live more fully. More on that here in just a moment. But first, let's settle in with a little bit of awareness. Go ahead and shut down your eyes or soften your gaze. Release any tension from your shoulders. Unclench your fists. Relax your jaw. Together, we'll take a deep inhale through the nose. And hold. And a nice open mouth exhale for release. All right, let's get into it. So, today I'm going to share a profound teaching that has been passed through the ages. And this is the wisdom of the phrase, die before you die. Now this phrase, it holds a really powerful message about the nature of life and death. Before we do anything else at all, I want to make it extremely clear that to die before you die does not refer to physical death. I repeat, to die before you die does not refer to physical death. The American mythologist Michael Mead, he does a fantastic job differentiating this. He explains that there is death with a capital D, and this is the death that we all know as the end, the end of the road, the end of this life, the grand finale. But before this grand finale, in the meantime, during this life, we can experience little d deaths, lowercase d deaths. Now, these little deaths are not physical. They're more metaphorical, more mythological. Death with a little d is what we're talking about today. It's what we're talking about when I say, die before you die. In his book, The Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle says, death is a stripping away of all that is not you. The secret of life is to die before you die and find that there is no death. This quote by Eckhart Tolle speaks to the idea that death is not an end, but rather a transition to a state where we are free from all that is not our true selves. The process of dying before you die means shedding identification with the ego. In essence, it's about stripping away the layers of conditioning and identification with external things that we've accumulated throughout our lives so that we can get in touch with our true essence. Ego. I want to address the word ego because it's a very packed word. In this teaching, I'm not implying that the ego is evil. I feel like there's a lot of spiritual and self-help literature that points to this, or at least bears this connotation. Um, I don't see the ego as a negative entity within us that we must starve out. Um, You know, when I think of the ego, I think of psychology. In psychology, the ego is a term used to describe one of the three parts of the mind, according to Sigmund Freud's theory. The other two parts are called the id and the superego. And ego is like the middleman that sits between these two other parts. It tries to find a balance between the unconscious desires of the id and the moral and social rules imposed by the superego. It's like the decision maker in our minds, helping us figure out what we should do and how we should act in different situations. 
So with all of that, we can understand the ego is a necessary part of our development. It is a necessary part of our human nature. It helps us navigate through life. Um, but with that, the ego can also be a source of profound suffering. The ego is constantly interpreting and making meaning out of our experiences. It is like a mental construct that we use to create a sense of identity and to navigate the world around us. With that, the ego is constantly telling us stories about ourselves in the world based on our past experiences, our beliefs, and our conditioning, which all have very strong and powerful roots within us. The ego's stories can be positive or negative, but they are always filtered through our own unique perspective and biases. For example, if you have a belief that you're not good enough, your ego might tell you stories about how you're always going to fail or how you're not as successful as other people. And these stories will be very convincing and they will shape your thoughts and your feelings and your behaviors in profound ways. The ego and its stories often limit our experience of life and thus create unnecessary suffering. I think the approach of starving the ego or annihilating the ego is a little harsh and a little violent. <laughs> um, I think the approach, at least as I like to take it, is to become more aware of the ego's voice. How quickly can you identify the ego when it is telling you a story? How quickly uh, can you begin to challenge those stories that it's telling you? I see that as the key. When our ego is in control, we forget about our deeper essence. Our aliveness is obscured by these stories and identities that the ego creates so eloquently. By becoming more aware of the ego and its stories, we can begin to loosen its hold on us and rediscover a deeper connection to ourselves and the world around us. You know, we can develop the space to recognize it when we see it, to call it out, to resist its pull. In this way, we can let go of the things, constructs, and identities that the ego claims we cannot live without, that the ego claims we will die without. And this is where the true journey begins. Little deaths are the psychological deaths or ego deaths that we experience when we let go of our attachments, when we let go of certain illusions that we've held about ourselves or the world around us. This process involves releasing your mind from its dependence on material things, personality structures, and even relationships while still being present in your physical body. We can encounter opportunities for these little deaths in various forms. Now, just being a human being and being alive means that you will 100% have the opportunities for this. Facing any type of adversity, uncertainty, or general life disturbances will set you up to have opportunities for little deaths. Now, these experiences, they can propel us or prompt us to let go of old patterns and beliefs that aren't working and allow us to seek out or embrace new ones. There is a great resistance we often feel towards the word death, I think for many clear reasons. But one that I see um, at the forefront is our collective misunderstanding or misconception of death. I think death could use a very solid rebrand. You know, life and death are not opposites. 
They're part of the same cycle. Lao Tzu, the ancient philosopher, writer, and founder, you could say, of Taoism, once wrote, Life and death are one thread, the same line viewed from different sides. Life and death are one thread. Without death, there can be no life. And nature shows us this. Clarissa Pinkola Estes is a celebrated Jungian analyst and author. And she speaks very eloquently and writes very eloquently about what she calls the life-death life cycle. She believes that this cycle is an essential aspect of the human experience, one that we must learn to embrace in order to live fully and authentically. Estes, she views life and death as part of an ongoing cycle, where the end of one phase marks the beginning of another. She believes that every ending is a new beginning, that we must learn to let go of the past in order to move forward. The life-death life cycle can be seen in many aspects of our lives, including our relationships, our careers, and our creative endeavors. When we experience an ending, such as the loss of a loved one, or the end of a job, or the end of a relationship, we must mourn the loss and then find a way to begin anew. Now let's look to nature. You could say, a rotting plant is not as beautiful as a fresh rose. It doesn't smell as good either. Very true. But if we look a little bit closer, we could try to find the beauty in the process of decay and death, just as there is beauty in the vibrant growth of a living plant. For example, a decaying plant. When a plant decays, it decomposes and breaks down into smaller components, such as carbon, nitrogen, and other minerals that were once part of its structure. These nutrients are then released into the soil, which improves soil quality by increasing its organic matter content. This, in turn, helps to retain moisture and improve soil structure. So this plant decay creates an environment that is more conducive to the growth of new plants. In this way, a decaying plant provides nourishment and new life to the ecosystem, creating a cycle of growth and decay that is essential for the health and sustainability of the natural world, of the ecosystem it's living in. Without death and decay, new growth and new life would not be possible. So while it may not be the same type of beauty as that of a thriving plant, there is a beauty and significance in the transformation and renewal that comes with the life-death life cycle. Similarly, in our own human lives, we must learn to embrace these little deaths, to embrace endings as a necessary part of this cycle. By letting go of what no longer serves us and letting go of the things we've outgrown, we create space for new growth and new possibilities. And while, of course, little deaths and endings are painful and difficult, they are also opportunities for transformation and renewal. The phrase die before you die refers to the idea of embracing this life-death life cycle and learning to let go of our attachments and false beliefs in order to live more fully, to live more truly. When we experience major life transitions or losses, we're forced to confront the possibility of death in a very real way. And in this confrontation, we must learn to let go of the parts of ourselves that are holding us back. As Clarissa Pinkola Estes suggests, the cycle of life-death-life involves a series of phases, each of which has its own unique challenges and opportunities for growth. The first phase involves the experience of an ending, which can be a loss, a crisis, a major change in one's life, and this is where part of the self dies. 
think divorce, the loss of a job, um, the end of a relationship, serious illness, or moving across the country. In these situations, the person must confront the ending of a previous phase of their life and experience the pain and grief that comes with it. In this phase, it's vital to allow oneself to feel the emotions fully without trying to suppress or deny them in order to move through this phase and on to the next. One of the keys to navigating this phase is acceptance and surrender to the natural process of the life-death life cycle. The second phase, as Estes describes, is a period of emptiness, disorientation, and confusion. During the second phase, a person may feel lost and disconnected from their usual sense of identity and purpose. And this makes great sense, right? You're adjusting to a new reality, so inevitably it's going to be tougher and harder to navigate your world. In my own experiences, I believe a great part of this discomfort is that it feels like nothing is happening. It feels dark and cramped and there is no light at the end of the tunnel. The metaphor I like to think of for this phase is the caterpillar who has turned to goo inside of a cocoon and is between the caterpillar state and the butterfly state. There is no light, just darkness and discomfort. But just like the caterpillar, we too must go through a process of breaking down and dismantling in order to emerge as something new. However, during phase two, it can be tempting to try to fill the void with distractions or to rush into finding a new identity or purpose, but this can prevent the necessary inner work that needs to take place. In this phase, it's important to take the time to heal and to process emotions, to ask a lot of questions, to seek out professional assistance, mentor, friends, family, therapists, relating to the loss or the change that has occurred. It can be a time of deep emotional work. And while this phase is very uncomfortable and very painful, it's an essential part of the life-death life cycle. Rumi, the mystic poet, once wrote, The wound is the place where the light enters you. Our deepest wounds and struggles can lead to our greatest growth and transformation. The second phase is the period where you are shedding your skin. You are shedding old ways of being in order to allow new growth to occur. It is painful as hell. But even if it feels like you're trapped in darkness, know that is a characteristic of the second phase. And it doesn't last forever. Deep wounds can be deep teachers. This is a period of deep rest and reflection. In the final phase, we reemerge as a new and transformed version of ourselves. This phase is characterized by a sense of renewal and a newfound perspective on life. We may feel more aligned with our true selves and have a clearer understanding of what we want out of life. As a result, we may find ourselves exploring new opportunities, sharing our gifts more frequently, and embracing new ways of being in the world. For example, someone who has experienced job loss may emerge with a newfound sense of resilience and determination. They may be more willing to take on new challenges and explore new opportunities, even if it means stepping outside of their comfort zone. Overall, the final phase is a time of growth, transformation, and renewal. It's an opportunity to put our newfound wisdom and insights into action, 
creating a new transformed version of ourselves that is more aligned with our true essence and our sense of purpose in the world. I want to point out that this cycle of life, death, life, it's not a linear process and it can be cyclical. Even after the final phase of reemergence and transformation, there will still be moments of grief, pain, and struggle. But by embracing the cycle and accepting the inevitability and impermanence of endings and new beginnings, we can learn to hold space for all of our emotions, recognizing that they are all part of the human experience. In this way, we can become more resilient, more adaptable, and more whole. Carl Jung once said, I would rather be whole than good. This is one of my favorite quotes. I live by it. It suggests that true wholeness and integration involve accepting the entirety of who we are, the entirety of our experiences. This idea, it goes hand in hand with the concept of the life-death life cycle, which acknowledges that growth and transformation involve both endings and beginnings, both light and dark, joy and pain. When we can integrate these seemingly opposite aspects of ourselves and our experiences, we can become more whole and complete as individuals. I would rather be whole than just happy. I would rather be whole than just perfect. I would rather be whole than cut myself off from any part of myself. Your superpower is your wholeness. When you can integrate the ugly and the beautiful, the the death and the life, you have created enough space within yourself to hold and contain all of life's experiences. You can fit the whole universe inside of you. This brings me back to my first point about ego death. Ego death, little d death, it's not a violent act of starvation or annihilation or destruction. <laughs> it's not that at all. It's, it's an act of acceptance. It's an act of surrender. In death, we are sitting in the fire and we're allowing that fire to burn up all that is inessential, one layer at a time. The phrase, die before you die, teaches us that failure and endings have a place in our journey and that we should not be afraid of them. It teaches us to be present to the full spectrum of our experiences, including the difficult and the painful ones, recognizing that these are all part of a greater natural process of growth and transformation. To close, I have three pillars to look to when you are experiencing a period of death. Number one, acknowledge and honor the endings and transitions in your life. This might involve rituals of letting go, like saying goodbye to a job that you know you don't like, or a relationship that is no longer working, or honoring the passing of a loved one. Whatever it looks like to you, acknowledge it and honor it. Number two, Embrace the periods of darkness and uncertainty that come with the cycle. Embracing these periods also means acknowledging that it is part of a process that is greater than you. This might involve allowing yourself to feel the pain, allowing yourself to feel grief, and trust that it is an essential part of the process of transformation and growth. Number three, open yourself up to new beginnings and possibilities. So this might involve exploring new interests, seeking out new relationships and connections, or taking risks and trying new things. Embracing the life-death-life cycle 
requires us to be present to the full spectrum of our experiences and to have the courage to face endings and transitions that are an inevitable part of life. Through this transformative process, we can experience the richness of life in its entirety. To die before you die is a gateway to spiritual liberation and wholeness. It's a direct connection with a deeper part of yourself. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you found this topic interesting, useful, uh, something that you can chew on for a little while. I'm going to leave my email address in the description. So if you have any feedback or comments or questions, just general thoughts about today's topic, please let me know. Drop a line. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to meet you. But that is all I have. So until next time, stay curious.